Hello, my name is Mark Reed Bulatovic and I'm joined by Callum Coomber. Together we form the duo Besingende Gedaland and we're currently in the process of writing an album. In this series, Wordlander, we speak to a guest every week who has some connection to the landscape in their day-to-day -day practice. This is our second episode and we're speaking to Rosalind Redoubt, an adventurous and versatile flute player whose work is informed by movement, space and music's relationship to the body. Roz's performance interests lie in conventional Baroque and contemporary repertoire, as well as experimental cross-discipline theatre. She's currently opening up research avenues into Dalcro's Eurythmics and is able to apply her performance-based research in her role as Director of Music at the Jack and Jill Family of Schools in Hampton. So Roz, welcome. Could you just expand a little bit about what your research is about? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I'm... I'm in my first year of a part-time, at the moment, PhD, um, exploring my own practices, um, my own eco-literate practices uh, as a performer and as a teacher. So it's an autoethnography, yeah, which basically means it's, it's I am the main participant, Ooh, excuse me, I am the main participant as well as the researcher. Um, yeah, and I'm constantly shifting between my own personal experience and that kind of within the wider cultures so so yeah it's really bringing together my interests as a performer and as a researcher and as a teacher um, and also these eco-literate practices so let's just unpick a few of those terms because I know not many people have heard of Dalcro's Eurythmics um, so Dalcro's is basically a, an approach to teaching and learning through music movement and sensory experience and it really emphasized training the whole person so the body is um, perceived as the locus of experience and of expression. Um, and so you learn music amongst many other things um, through movement and through sensory experience, basically. Um, it's all done in a social context. So you're constantly learning um, lots of other social skills, including um, empathy and mutual respect alongside lots of um, kind of in the moment, quick skills um, and attention and awareness. Um, and you have to be very flexible in Dalcro's. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really a philosophy because it brings together so many different things. But I think the most important thing is that it's it's training the body and the body is the locus of experience. But it's also got lots of implications for, um, for like kind of theatre. He was actually very influential, Emile Jacques Dalcro's, um, who founded the method and lots of people came to his school in. Um, just outside Dresden at the beginning of the 20th century um, and from there he yeah his approach and his thinking has really influenced dance in particular contemporary dance as well as theatre um, yeah so his his lines can be traced through in the dance world through Laban um, through Marie Rambert um, she she studied there um, and then in the kind of theatre world again he can be traced through kind of Stanislavski and Grotowski and people like that um, amongst much more. So, so yeah, he, yeah, even though not many people know his name, a lot of people will be very familiar with his work kind of because it has just, um, been absorbed by lots of 20th century and practices basically. Yeah. It seems like Dalcroze is a real bridge between mediums. Could you just tell us about any other practices that yeah. you involve yourself in? Um, Yes, so, so Dalcroze has been um, described and written about as a somatic practice. Um, and I think um, you will 
I'm sure most people will be very familiar with somatic practices in some way or another. Um, so it comes from the word soma, which is Greek for the body. Um, but it's really encapsulating the body as well as the mind and the soul and our, our experience, our, our, our lived experiences from the moment we were born until now and and for our, the rest of our lives. Um, so somatic practices give us a chance um, to get to know our bodies, uh, to get to know ourselves, I should say, to get to know ourselves better physically um, because our, we are our bodies ultimately. We're not separate from our bodies. We are our bodies. So it's getting to know ourselves Um and these bodies play an active role in learning and in exploring and discovering, as we have done, again, for our whole lives. Right since we were born, we were learning through our bodies, through movement, rather than through, you know, cognition, whatever that is. Um, so, so you'll see somatic practices in, in yoga, in Tai Chi, in um, anything that kind of focuses on movement and body position and on sensation. But um, for me, like, I also do a lot of long distance running. And I know for lots of people, running is not a process of learning your body, learning about your body, um, but it really can be. Um, so for me, yeah, that is too. Um, and I think it kind of, it does sort of infiltrate your life once you get into it a bit. Um, like I wear barefoot shoes, been wearing barefoot shoes now for a year or so, which oh, is cool. like the best thing. And with the toes? Uh, no, no, actually, no. They just got really wide toe box. Um, but that, again, oh, okay. you just get the flexibility of the ground underneath you. And you learn so much more. You, there's so much to learn through your bodies. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it's just a nice way to live, really. On the subject of learning, could you just tell us a little bit about eco-literacy? Uh, yeah, so eco-literacy, um, for me as a teacher, um, teaching children to be ecologically literate is surely our number one goal in life, right? <laughs> Especially now, like more than ever, we need to um, to know about our world. Um, um, so, so I yeah. How would uh, how would I define ecoliteracy? That's a question I've been asking myself a lot recently. But I think it's basically um, knowing and understanding Earth systems and how all the living beings are interconnected and, and therefore understanding the consequences of our actions um, or indeed our inactions as well. Um, so, so it's developing awareness and, and cultivating um, intelligence, like emotional intelligence and social intelligence as well as ecological intelligence. And these are really important skills for kids. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, for everyone really. So, so teaching children through eco-literate kind of pedagogy, I hope, is giving them knowledge and, and empathy for all living systems. And I don't think that eco-literacy is just something I apply to, to my teaching at all. I think it's something that is also active in my performance practice, mm. which hopefully leads us onto yes. talking about this project. Yes, uh, I just wanted to just quickly highlight a little uh, interesting tidbit I, I picked up on there, uh, which was the, the, the kind of ways that uh, having these somatic practices yeah. and understanding our body uh, can lead to a more ecological way of thinking. So understanding that uh, one part of your body is inextricably linked to another kind of seems like an important philosophy to hold when we're talking about ecology in our world and our actions in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the body and knowing about our world are directly linked. You know, we think we're humans are separate from, from nature, but actually our <laughs> bodies 
prove otherwise. Um, so, so yeah, I think that really it's a marriage made in heaven as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> agree there. Uh, now we've covered the basic sort of terminology. Callum, do you want to tell me a bit about the project you and Roz have been working on? Yeah, so what we've been working on is a, a meditative experience that uses the body and senses to facilitate across species empathy. And the species that we decided uh, to, to focus on revolved around the bird's nest orchid. Um, Why that particular species of orchid? What's so special about it? So th this orchid is a what you'd call a mycoheterotroph, and that means that it's reliant on fungi to to get all of its nutrients. The sort of fungi that this orchid relies on is in a symbiotic relationship with um, certain types of tree. The the tree and the fungi exchange nutrients and sugars. Um, so help each other, they help each other to survive. And the, the orchid basically attaches itself onto the fungi as a parasite. They're quite an amazing orchid, really. So the name is taken from, from how their roots look. It's kind of matted bird's nest of, of roots. Um, but they're not particularly attractive, shall we say. They're not like the lovely flowering orchid I have in my bathroom, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah, kind of how do you describe them? It's so beautiful. I think when you think about orchids, you usually think of these kind of very delicate, mm -hmm. delicate, ornate, beautiful um, flowering plants that kind of come up from the undergrowth. But these birds nest orchids are not like that at all. Um, yeah. they, they look, how did Attractive. we describe them before? They look like malnourished grass. <laughs> <laughs> they're, um, they're kind of like a, a brownie straw colour and they... The flowers don't really look like flowers, so you could probably walk past one quite easily and not really notice it at all. Um, so we, we wanted to really explore this very intimate and complicated energy uh, between the, the, those three species. The, the first, first session on day one was to find the tree, our, our, our gateway. In, into the underworld mm. and, and what was different between the meditations from the tree to the fungi to the orchid so for each of those meditations we focused on on different senses for all of them we focused on kinesthesia so the sense of the body but the the other sense differed for each one and so for the for the tree meditation, we focused on kinesthesia and, and touch. For the fungi meditation, we focused on kinesthesia and smell taste. And for the orchid, we focused on kinesthesia and sound. Initially, it, it might be worth saying that we're, we're separated. I'm, in, I'm, on the, I'm on the border between London and Surrey, and, and as you probably know, Callum's in Suffolk. Um, and so we both wanted to, to go and interact with our local woodland, our ancient ancient woodland that was located closely to us. So we wrote these these this text really for these two kind of lengthy um, meditation inspired experiences. Um, and I think, yeah, using the senses and also our imagination really helped um, engage with the soma, as it were. So the imagination is, is also like really important. 
so we had kind of two main meditations to be performed on different days. And the first one was a walking meditation. Um, so after sort of counting our breaths and scanning our bodies after arriving in the woodland, um, we walked around um, slowly and meditatively and thoughtfully and paying lots of attention to, to the forest. Um, we were also reciting a mantra, which for me was something that kind of kept, I kept coming back to, I think we talked about our breath and these mantras as being like an anchor. Um, and so the words, ancestor of woodland, a myriad of guarded critters supporting entangled knowledge were running through our heads as we walked around, I suppose. And, and for me, they were really, um, they really opened up my, my eyes and, and all my senses to, to this forest. Um, yeah, so that, I, yeah, I think we were sort of two, two hours or so each of, um, of, of guided meditation and, and we were seeking the oldest tree, um, believing that the oldest tree in the forest would have, um, would have the richest network of connections. So while you were walking around, mm. you were repeating this mantra and trying to get to know trees, but on this slightly more personal level? Yes, certainly. And like definitely the tree who I eventually found and became my tree um, that started my the second day of meditations. Um, that tree is very special to me now. And every time I go back there, we have to go and say hello to this tree. <laughs> Slightly off the beaten track. But um, but certainly and like, um, yeah, and that tree kind of taught me a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I, I feel bonded to that tree. And, mm. Yeah. I do. And could you give us a bit more detail about the second day of meditation? On our second day, the first meditation we did was um, focused around the tree and then the following meditation was focused around the fungi and then the third one focused around the orchid. Yeah, so for me, I, I found myself sort of embodying the sort of the shape of a tree um, it, it feeling its bark, feeling its its different textures. It, you know, at one place it had kind of lost its bark, and um, feeling kind of that smoother place, um, and 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 sort of different fungi that were actually growing around it. Um, so that was that was the tree meditation, and then for the fung fungi, we um, again we used kinesthesia, and we also used our our sense of smell, taste, as we called it. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So engaging with the smell, and for me, that kinesthesia really kind of um, manifested itself in and kind of tracing the paths of hyphae potentially, or or of these my kind of mycorrhizal um, beings underneath the ground. So I sort of was walking around the space around the tree a bit more, and and sort of interpreting through my body what I thought that might be. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, then, I, and I guess here is where the imagination really comes in, because with the tree, it's right there and you can mimic, you can see it. But with the fungi, they're all underground. So um, I guess you need to have a bit more imaginative license there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, even for the tree, I think imagination was there, you know, imagining what what might be under the surface or or things but um but yeah definitely <laughs> you really had to imagine what it was underground and then likewise for the orchid which we chose to engage with again through kinesthesia but also um through sound 
what we thought was very interesting about um, this bird's nest orchid was, was the fact that it doesn't need light. Um, it doesn't photosynthesize, so it doesn't need light. Um, so obviously we couldn't use sight or as a sense, um, but so yeah, we chose to focus on sound and we chose to time this meditation so that it was dusk by the time we got to to the orchid to engaging with the orchid um, in this way. Yeah, and that is also a very powerful thing. And, and of course, all your other senses change when you don't have sight in the same way. Yeah. So did you stay there until it was like pitch black or? <laughs> no, was it just? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were lying on the floor in the forest as, as it got dark. Yeah, I think, I think Callum might have been braver than me. <laughs> but... Uh... I was I was a little bit worried at the end because usually in these sorts of um, woodlands they have uh, gamekeepers or pe people mm -hmm. to come and cull the deer basically so you know if they're coppicing um, the deers don't come and eat the shoots um, and I was quite close to the because it, in these woodlands they have these they, they're really strange they're like um, seats on stilts where people sit and they shoot the deer. And I was very close to the clearing where one of those was. And I was just kind of like lying on the floor, kind of squiggling around, hoping not to get shot by. <laughs> oh my God. I thought it was bad enough that um, the car park said it was going to close at dusk. So I had to like arrange getting there and getting a lift back from my partner and stuff like that. I thought that was bad. <laughs> At least I wasn't fearing for my life. Um, but yeah, no, because I, I, you know, kind of I've been talking and I was like, I'm not, I don't feel that comfortable lying on the floor of a woodland at nighttime um, in the late December. Um, but uh, I was telling you guys the other day about how, how safe I felt actually bizarrely after kind of... Um, after really getting, and maybe that really kind of embodies this whole notion that nature is separate from us and that it's scary and all these things. But actually, um, yeah, it, it, I didn't feel that at all. I think we really had, well, I certainly had felt like I had, yeah, more trust, more more empathy for for this eco, for this little ecosystem um, when I left. Mm, yeah. Um, so just summing up, I guess. It seems to me that really important are all, all these meditative aspects, which kind of, uh, I guess, have a more emotional connection to these plants, but also the scientific aspect, you know, the knowledge of, of how they work mm. and what their style is, I suppose, uh, seems really important to me as well. So I just wonder if this is kind of an embodiment of a very nice definition of eco-literacy that you gave us earlier. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like the cultivation of an emotional and a social intelligence of all these different forms alongside that kind of scientific ecological intelligence is, yeah, absolutely, mm. the sums up eco-literacy. Mm. I think you're exactly right. When we were um, working on the meditation, the script, thinking about knowledge that you had prior to the experience and how it influenced your experience um, was, was key. So, for example, um, the tree that I ended up finding was, I believe, a small-leaved lime. I can't be certain because it didn't have any leaves on it. Um, <laughs> but I, I had read um, perhaps a few days before um, about how in in uh, in native forests with lots of deciduous trees, um, they actually they're very they're very amazing at 
um, regrowing once they've been knocked over. So their root systems kind of still stay intact once the storms kind of ripped through and they kind of continue to grow. And this tree that I found had obviously been knocked over at some point, maybe in the 1990s or something, because it was the, you could see the root systems, they were kind of showing and there was a big, um, a big hole where it had been ripped out of the soil. Um, and you could see the original trunk kind of lying horizontally on the floor, but there were also from this trunk, um, three, four or five quite large trunks growing upwards. So this um, regenerative property of this ancient woodland kind of it encompassed quite a lot, but I wouldn't have decided on that on this tree if I hadn't have known that beforehand. It wouldn't have attached me to it in the, in the way that it did. Yeah, yeah, I guess that illustrates that connection of mind and body pretty perfectly. Um, which has been a bit of a running theme today, I have to say. Uh, so just how will this project take form moving forward uh, with all this research that you've done into these meditations? For me, the, the meditative experience was, as we talked about, very focused on movement um, and the senses. And, and actually in doing it, it was more about movement than I thought it was going to be. Um, so moving forward, I think we want to take um, our experience of being there and of moving in that in that place to inform essentially a work of theatre. Um, and we'll probably do some creative writing based on mm. our experiences to work out exactly what we want to do. I think we also are looking to to release the text, to edit it so other people can... Uh, can engage with it in their way um or maybe even kind of record it i don't know as a guided meditation of, of sorts um to help other people engage um with their local networks and and i know for me as a teacher who's trying to use eco-literate practices it's also something that i'm developing in the classroom as well and i think uh, yeah i want to do that some more with this project actually instead of just worrying about the trees um thinking about all the, the networks of life around around the trees and you know there's there's so much to explore once you kind of hone in on on, on this single tree and all its networks it could have um there's lots to be explored mm. so yeah so through performance but also through sharing through outreach work or through um sharing the text yeah i, th I think it's going to be a very uh, holistic uh, and interesting a theatre work or a guided meditation that comes out of this so just thanks so much for sharing it with me guys and thanks to Roz for joining us on this week's episode. Look forward to sharing it with you.